it's kind of interesting. To give you a clue of who we're going to talk about tonight, God gave me literally this title of this message and pointed me toward this guy in a dream. He literally did that. And I, I mean, it's crazy because I could, I guess you could say I could only dream of this message. But frankly, I would never have picked this title. I would never have picked this title, but I have to be faithful, don't I? And uh, to what God tells me to do, because, folks, someone here tonight needs this message. I don't know who that is, but the Holy Spirit does. And I believe that. And I grew up with the saying, if you get bucked off a horse, what do you do? Get back on. You climb back on, okay? During my life, I've had several occasions where I literally had to climb back on a horse as well as climb back on other things, not only a horse. One time, I, I flipped the fork truck over backwards, which is kind of fun, uh, and, and, and I was, in effect, bucked off that fork truck. And, uh, and I used this phrase, get back on it, right? You've got to get back on it now. You can't wait. So I did that. Ironically, and a lot of the message tonight, there's some ironies in this message tonight. But ironically, I now train people on the safe use of fork trucks. That's, isn't that kind of crazy? <laughs> but today we're going to talk about the life story of a guy who fell down many times. He got bucked off, if you will, many times. And he was able to climb back on the horse, if you will, again and again to make a great impact on his people as well as today. Uh, we could say he got knocked down, but not out. He picked himself up time and time again to, to score his knockouts. We're going to talk about that. Now, who is he? A little patience. You'll find out here. Let the suspense build. To understand this story, we have to go back to the beginning to appreciate the meaning and value of this person's story to us as well as Israel. I'll be looking at from Genesis, the, uh, the main theme, verses 41, uh, starting with verse 38. So if, you want to, if you'd like to turn there. I'll be bouncing around uh, several places, but I just want to point that out. You know, in the beginning of creation... Um, I do have this, don't I? Okay. Uh, we see the, the climb is the message for tonight. And uh, if I can... It's the top one or bottom? It's the bottom one, okay. First, I want to talk about the fall of mankind. It clear back to the beginning, you know, almost day one. In the beginning of creation, we see the perfect couple, Adam and Eve. They sinned, didn't they? They sinned. And, uh, and by doing that, God had to kick them out of the Garden of Eden. Had to kick them out of the Garden of Eden. And one day, uh, Adam was walking and talking with his two sons, uh, Cain and Abel, up on a hill overlooking down into the Garden of Eden. And Cain asked... His dad, he said, Dad, he said, why do we have to sweat every day, work so hard, and fight this ground with all these thorns when we could be living down there in that beautiful uh, Garden of Eden where there's no thorns, there's plenty of food, plenty of drink, plenty to eat? And Adam replied, well, because your mom made us out of house and home. Well, anyways, the first, <laughs> the first fall if you will, we're talking about falls tonight. It was caused by our sin, wasn't it? We fell out of fellowship with God because of our sin. 
And, uh, and that created a distance, a separation between us and God. And the fellowship was, it was, was strained and it was separated and it was a bad thing. And we go on as we go through Revelation, the, uh, the third through eleventh uh, chapters, we see mankind geographically move further and further apart from each other and spiritually moved even further away from uh, God. But we see that, uh, that, okay, that didn't work. Okay. We see here in Genesis 12 where God makes a covenant with a man named Abram, who, by the way, was an idol worshiper at that time. But he made a promise, a covenant's a promise, you know, with Abram to become, he said, I'm going to make you the father of, of, of a great nation uh, and who's going to be his chosen people. That's where the start of, the, uh, of God's chosen people, the Jews, were right then when he made that covenant with Abraham. And God promised Abraham, Abraham he would bless him with descendants as many as the what? Sands of the sea. Remember that? That's what he said. And uh, there was only one catch, though. Only one catch. He said they had to be obedient to him. How big of a catch is that? How big of a catch is being obedient to God for, for us? Huh. Something to think about. Okay. Well... We see here that Abraham is, you know, he's, he is the, actually uh, the great-grandfather of whom I wish to speak about tonight. Who is he? Who is he I want to talk about? We have a little drum roll. Well, his name is Joseph, one of, one of my favorites of the Bible. He's the son of Jacob, the grandson of Isaac, and the great-grandson of Abraham. That's who he is. Okay? And I, I believe Jesus... The, uh, Joseph was the next in line in God's promise. And in Genesis thirty twenty two, we see the we see the beginning of Joseph's life. We see uh, his biography. We'll talk about that for a moment. God it says God remembered Rachel, which Rachel was Joseph's mom, and opened her womb because she was because she was barren, and she had two sons: Joseph, which was Jacob's favorite, her dad's favorite. He was a, he was a favorite boy, and then Benjamin. And somewhere around 1900 B.C. is when this happened. Okay, a long time ago, wasn't it? That was a couple years before my mother-in-law was born, just saying. Anyways, these two sons completed Jacob's family, okay, to what is now known as the 12 tribes of Israel. This is where this all started. And the lineage of the promise from God. You know, a side note, Joseph... And Benjamin were half-brothers and first cousins of the other ten sons of Jacob. You realize that? Okay. And which would be uh, the twelve tribes of Abraham actually had four mothers. You realize that? Okay. And one dad. And I'll get to that in a moment. So let's look at let's look at uh, the Joseph ancestry just a little bit because all this plays into Joseph and what's going on here. And I got to get I got to take you down this path a little bit. Okay, have you ever wondered why Joseph was the favorite son? I'm sorry. Ah, uh, the wife he was promised. He's he's touching on something. We'll we'll get to that here in a minute. We have to go back to Genesis 28 and 29 chapters of that and look at Jacob's life story. Jacob, which was Joseph, who I'm speaking about, his dad, he stole his twin brother Esau's birthright, didn't he? 
he was a twin. He stole his brother's birthright by deceiving him. Not only deceiving him, but who else did he deceive? His dad, didn't he? Isaac. Remember that? And to avoid Esau's desire to kill his twin brother, you ever you're have any siblings and Samuel will kill you? We say that in gist, don't we? But sometimes it's serious. In this case, it was. And we see here where Esau wanted to kill him, so Jacob's dad, Isaac, basically forced Joseph to leave his country and uh, to live in Haran, which was his mother's brother, old Uncle Laban. That's interesting because how Laban was quite a character. And actually, Haran means sanctuary. Isn't that kind of interesting? He's sending his son to Haran, which was a sanctuary, okay, which is ironically in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. Does that ring any bells to you? What's what is Saudi Mecca, Saudi Arabia? That's the most religious place for who? Islam. Is that interesting to you? How this all works, all interworks together. So we have Joseph, who is I mean I'm Jacob. I'm sorry, who's being sent away to a sanctuary in Mecca, which is now Islam's most holy place. Is that crazy? Because, you know, and we'll talk more about that. The truth in the saying, what goes around comes around, that applied here. You know, it's another irony in this story. Jacob met his match with Laban, old Uncle Laban, because Laban was better at horse trading than he was. He's better at deceiving than Jacob was. And after they made a marriage deal, this comes back to what John said a moment ago, you know, that there was a marriage deal. Now, we, we go down the road sometimes and we see people at intersections, don't we? And don't they hold up the little signs? And what do they usually say? We'll work for food. One guy one time was standing there. He, he was more honest than the others because people had that experience. And he said, I will work for beer. That's what, he actually, that's what he's signing said. That's probably more accurate. Okay, well, what's that have to do with this story? Jacob was much the same. He basically was saying, I will work for seven years for Rachel. That's what he had a sign basically saying, I'll make a deal with you, Uncle Laban here. And I'm gonna, you know, for your daughter, I'm going to work seven years for you. Well, because you know why? Because Rachel was the love of his life. How many of us have had the love of our lives? Guys, put your arm up. Okay. All right. Got to do that, okay? It's true. The love of our lives, you know, and uh, love's a many splendid thing. But we see here that the promise by Laban was for uh, Jacob to marry his youngest daughter, uh, Rachel, who the Bible says was beautiful and well favored. Interesting that they use that, that terminology to explain. Describe her. Well, after seven years, Laban deceitfully, deceitfully took Leah, Rachel's older sister, okay, to the uh, unknowingly Jacob's tent, and uh, in the dark of the night, they didn't have electric back then. It was dark, okay, and and actually to consummate their marriage, Jacob thought he had uh, Rachel there, but when he woke up the next morning, Leah was his new wife. Think about that for a moment. Wow, would that be a shocker? Old, and the Bible calls Leah tender-eyed. Tender-eyed Leah. So he had tender-eyed Leah versus the beautiful uh, and uh, well-favored daughter, Rachel. That would be a shock, wouldn't it? Think about that for a moment. Okay. Well, 
Lee is his new wife. It's a done deal. He consummated the marriage. It's, it's a done deal now. Okay? Jacob, think about this. Jacob just worked seven years for the woman he loved and got his, her sister and first cousin. That's what she was. That wasn't a good day. That wouldn't be a good day, would it? Well, how would we feel if we were deceived like that? How would we feel? Not, wouldn't be happy, would we? Not at all. Well, from the Bible's account, Jacob was mad, understandably so, at his new father-in-law, but still he wanted to love his life, Rachel. So he went back to the old horse trader and made another deal. said, I'll work seven more years for you to the promise, give me Rachel, the woman of my dreams. And so Laban agreed to that. Now, that takes us down a whole different path. Think about it. So he works for seven more years, and we see in the Bible, he says, after seven years, he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah. Wow. How would that affect Rachel's feelings to her sister? Leah, how would that affect that? You ladies, how would that affect you guys? Would that be good? Wouldn't be a good situation, would it? You know, when she, Leah knew Rachel was... The favor. She knew very clearly. The Bible very clearly says that. So he, she knows it wasn't a happy home. Matter how would it affect Rachel's toward feelings towards Leah and Leah's feelings towards Rachel? They're sisters. Wouldn't be a good situation, would it? Not in that home. Would not be a happy home. Matter of fact, it was a destructive home. One with envy, rivalry, and arguing. And I can go into a lot of details about it. when you really study this. It's really interesting. But it's, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a fight. Some of the times the, the ladies use the term, this is not Dave's term, so don't attack me. They'll say ladies get into what? Cat fights? Don't they say that? That's what happened in that home. That's what happened in that home. Seriously, that's exactly what happened. It gets worse. Initially, both sisters are infertile, and we see Leah, the Bible says Leah was hated so much, so much, that God actually opened her womb, because I said she was infertile, was barren at first, okay? And he actually opened her womb because she was hated so much. Probably from whom? From her sister. You know, and maybe even maybe even Jacob. I mean, we don't know for sure. It's not We're not told about that. But then God opened her womb and allowed her to give Jacob six sons. Six sons. That will make him happy. They were Reuben, Simon, Levi... By the way, we got to get the priest from Judah, kings from Issachar and Zebulun. Now Jacob's uh, two wives, handmaid, and each of these his uh, wives had handmaidens. Okay, and their names were Bila and Zilpah, and they actually mothered four sons. So you have six from Leah. You have four sons from two each from the from the handmaidens. That makes ten sons now. Okay, and now. Meanwhile, Rachel, the beloved one, the one that, J that Jacob loves the most, is still barren. This went on for years. Years. Okay? Would that hurt that home? Wow. Sure it would. Okay? Finally, we don't know how long. Obviously, it had to be at least ten years. <laughs> he had ten sons, right? So we, we know that. Okay, at least ten years later, the Bible says God opened Rachel's womb, and she was able to bear... Uh, that's two sons, and I mentioned that earlier, Joseph and then Benjamin. And that's the reason why. I said, why was Joseph the favorite? Because Joseph was Jacob's favorite was because he was the firstborn 
of the woman that he was the love of his life. That's why he was a favorite. Interesting storyline, isn't it, when you look at that? Okay. Speaking of favorites, there were four boys in my family, and I, I give my parents credit. None of us were treated as a favorite. Our parents didn't like any of us. Well, we see that uh, Joseph, you know, I said we're talking about Joseph, uh, the climb. We're talking about the fall right now. You know, the title for today's message is The Climb. But before we climb, don't we sometimes have to fall? Sure we do. Okay. Let's look at Joseph's fall. When Joseph was around seven years old, I'm, I'm estimating here, his mom Rachel died giving birth to his brother Benjamin. He actually died in a very young, very young age. That's, would that be devastating if you're seven years old? Devastating. It was, I'm sure, to, to, uh, to Jacob, I mean, Joseph as well. And as a teenager, he was Jacob's favorite son, so much so that his dad made him a coat of many colors. Maybe, maybe, to signify he was going to receive the inheritance. We don't know. We don't know. He, 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 he actually set him aside, didn't he, and made him the favorite. Now, there were six kids in my family. If you're the, perceived as a favorite, are you real popular with your siblings? No. So you can see how that could play out to he'd be picked on all the time. And I have to, I have to give my mother-in-law credit for a moment. She always calls me her favorite son-in-law. I'm her only son-in-law. <laughs> Anyways, you know, we see in, in chapter 37, the fourth verse, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they, what, hated him. Not disliked him, not mad at him. It says they hated him. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? That's what they did. And they not only that, they said, And they could not speak peaceably unto him. So anything they said to him was what? In a mean way, wasn't it? A sarcastic way, just a, just mean spirited all the time. How would you like to live in that scenario? Wouldn't be very good. It wouldn't be very good. Being the favorite didn't help his brother's jealousy. To make matters worse, Joseph goes to his older brothers and he says, "Hey, guess what? Last night I had a dream." I'm thinking, here he goes again. And this dream was we were tying up bunches of grain in the field and when suddenly my bunch stood up and while all yours gathered around and bowed to me. Wow, what's he saying? He's the next to the youngest. He's the 11th in the lineage. And he's, what's he saying here? I'm standing above all you guys and you're bowing down to me. Wow, that'd be, that'd be tough if you were brothers. And I'm sure the brothers probably rolled their eyes at each other and, and discussed but jo Joseph didn't stop there. He went on. He, you know, he, he didn't know when to shut it down, did he? And we see he goes on to say, Then I had another dream that the sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed down to me. Wow. Wow. Kind of a scary moment if you think about it. That was probably the straw that broke the camel's back, as we say. And they probably said to him, Who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than us? If you think for one minute Whoever bowed down to you, you're dreaming. He probably said, duh, that's what I'm just telling you. Anyways, anyways, those hard feelings moved from jealousy to hatred so that the next time they saw Joseph coming, the Bible says that they basically said, this, this guy needs taken down a notch or two, and we're going to be the ones that do it. You know? And they actually made a plan to kill him. Think about this. They made a plan 
to kill their brother. Isn't that first degree murder? Premeditated? I think so. So we see that. Well, thank goodness Reuben, the oldest, he intervened and said, Don't kill him. Let's just throw him down in a well. And actually, Reuben's plan was to go back and get him later. But what happened is he was doing other things. His brothers happened to see this Ishmaelite trade caravan and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. That's about 400 bucks in today's money uh, to be a slave. They actually sold his brother into slavery. And we see that saying, it's a small world, and it's another irony, because the Ishmaelites, aren't they cousins and also enemies of the Jews? They sold their brother to the enemy. Think about that a minute. Wow. Well, the good thing is God's in all this, isn't he? He's in all this. And he actually used this this enemy of Israel to fulfill his will down the road. That's pretty exciting. See, God uses evil people for his will. People don't realize that, but he does. He's able to manipulate situations till they follow in his will without them even knowing. And this begins... This was this was already started down. At, I mean, let's face it. Joseph's having a bad day, isn't he? He's having a bad day. He's he just got basically roughed up, thrown into a pit by his his, his brothers. Now he got drug up out of there and sold to slavery to Egypt. He figures forever to be a slave for the rest of his life. What kind of day would that be? It'd be a bad day, wouldn't it? Well, we see also not only did he fall from his family because his family kicked him out, didn't he? They got rid of him. And uh, worse yet, they even took his coat, that coat of many colors, and they took it off and they killed a goat and they spread all the blood all over the goat and took it home to their dad and said, Look what here, Dad. Your favorite son got killed by an animal. So it was a bad day. He, his dad thought he had lost his son, his favorite son. The brothers had maliciously, premeditatedly got rid of him. So he got... He fell from his family. It was like he was no longer existence, like he fell off the charts. But it didn't stop there. He goes, this, this Ishmaelites, this trade caravan, they take him to Egypt. That's important. They took him to Egypt. And we see here that he, as it says here, Joseph falls from, from society. He becomes a slave. And Joseph was sold to Potiphar, the captain of the palace guard. And Potiphar, Potiphar prospered in everything Joseph touched. You see, because God was with him. And by the way, you'll see Joseph continues to be faithful through all these bad things, these falls that he's having. Okay, and we see that here and with Potiphar because uh, everything Joseph touched turned out good. So, you know, Potiphar was smart enough to realize that Joseph's God was blessing him. He didn't say Joseph was. He said Joseph's God was blessing him. So Potiphar put... Uh, Joseph in charge of not only his household, but everything he had. Now think about this little Hebrew boy. And by the way, he was 17 years old when he got carried away. He's just a young buck, some would say, right? And you see very quickly that uh, that he, he made an imp- uh, what should I say, an impression. And, and he was obviously even a young person. By the way, if you're young here tonight, ladies, girls, guys, you know, God will use you at young ages too. He doesn't wait till you get to older. He will use you when you're young. So don't, don't think you can't be used and you can't make a good impact in life because we see a great example here with Joseph. And we see in, ver- in chapter 39, verse 2, uh, to reinforce Potiphar, he said, His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. How much? All. All that he did to succeed. Just when he thought things were looking up. 
think, hey, I'm, I'm making a good impression here. You know, uh, Potiphar has confidence in me. He's put me over charge of everything he owns. Well, we see here that, that uh, Potiphar's wife got involved. That happens sometimes. And we see that she tried unsuccessfully many times to seduce Joseph, and, and he, would, he refused her, her, her uh, advances. And, uh, and it got so bad that one time when nobody was there, his wife grabbed him by the shirt, by the, and, and he actually had to run away when he did. She pulled off part of his, they said, uh, we'll say his shirt for lack of better terms. Uh, and because he was a faithful, loyal to the part of her, and he wouldn't do that. He was a man of God. Well, it's fair to say in Joseph's case, the clothes make the man. He's either given clothing, we see in the, the coat of many colors, or he's having it taken away. She tears it away from him, you know, and that's what uh, hurt him. And he actually loses his shirt, if you will. Once again, a piece of clothes becomes his undoing. If you think about that, the coat of many colors was a negative for him. Now we have his shirt. She uses against him, and she goes to her husband and tells him that he tried to tried to rape her, frankly. And, uh, and so he ended up, as a result of that, uh, that, that happened, you know, he was rejected by the Egyptian society. He was thrown in jail, thrown in prison, actually. You know, his, his rejection led her to revenge. Think about that. And this powerful lady accused Joseph of attempted rape. She saved face in her society and turned it around to not only embarrass him and, but, and cost him his job, but also cost him his freedom. Do we have people who are mean that way out there? We do. We have people that way. You see, in that culture, there was no trial. The slave was guilty even if they were innocent. It didn't matter. It just didn't matter. Think about this. He now had been outcast by his own brothers, in effect was cast out of his own country, because he was. He was gone. Okay, Was sold by his family to be a slave for the rest of his life, and now he's going to prison. Now he's going to prison. Okay, Probably given a life sentence. I don't know. That would be a bad uh, crime to commit. All, all the while, he's innocent. He's a godly young man. By the way, speaking of prison, you know, what do prisoners use to call each other? Anybody know what they do? They use cell phones. You'll get that in a minute. That term is actually appropriate. If you think about it, today we're imprisoned by the cost of cell phones. <laughs> think about that a minute. It's crazy. Joseph had to be confused and probably felt, why, why me, Lord? Why, why has this happened to me? You know? Yet we see Joseph continue to be faithful, even though it appeared it was a knockout blow. He probably thought it was over. I'm in prison for the rest, rest of my life. Terrible feeling. Folks, we all get knocked down. Many of you may feel knocked down right now. You may. I don't know. You know. You may be going through some terrible times, and you don't understand. You may even think that you're being punished by God. I don't know why you're going through these times, but just as in Joseph's case, God has a plan that he may eventually reveal to you. You know, we have no record. Think about this. We have no record of Joseph sinning or even questioning his trials. We don't. We have no record of that. You know? We do have a strong record of him remaining faithful to God. That's interesting to me. And I think it's very, you know, a great lesson for us. And 
out of this experience of him going to prison, there's, there's three quick uh, lessons we can learn. One, God is a God of mercy and hope. Okay? No matter how bad it gets, God gave G- Joseph a little hope, just like he does all of us children. We see in, in uh, chapter 39, verse 21, God says, But the Lord was with Joseph. Right there's hope. Right? And showed him mercy. I said mercy and hope. And showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. You see, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. But because he was a godly man, very clearly God was with him. God gives us mercy and hope. That's the first thing. The second thing, he gives us opportunity. Genesis 40, we see Pharaoh threw both his chief butler and his bakers in prison. Joseph's job was given to him to take care of them while he was th- while they were there. And they, both of them had dreams. Remember, Joseph's a guy of dreams, isn't he? He's a man of dreams. Okay? And we see that they had dreams, and they were upset about it, and they were startled about it. And they came, and finally they asked Joseph. And Joseph correctly in- interpreted those dreams. And good news and bad news. The butler, he was paroled, went back to his job as the butler. The baker ended up being killed because of what he did. But he... He interpreted both of those properly. Well, <laughs> where most of us see depression in that situation, we see that Joseph saw opportunity. Why do I say that? When God gives us an opportunity first, we need to take it. Joseph asked the butler, if you remember, in verse 14, he says, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and, sh- and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. You see what happened? He said, hey, I interpreted your dreams. Now remember me so that I might, you know, you might talk to Pharaoh about me. So then Joseph got out of prison right away, didn't he? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. We see the third lesson, God's timing. Interestingly, Joseph's timing wasn't God's. He found out the true meaning of waiting on the Lord, didn't he? He thought, I'd get out right away. Hey, he's, he's back in the Pharaoh's house. He'll talk to him about it. And tomorrow, I'll be, I'll be hanging out there doing whatever I want to do. And we see that it was not the case because God's timing is perfect timing. How about us? Are we suffering in something right now even though we're being faithful, yet we still are enduring the pain and we keep praying for God to act right now? Is that how we do things? How much patience do we have? Yeah, we all laugh. We all laugh about that because we don't, you know. God is good all the time, even through suffering, folks. God is good all the time, even through suffering. We may be knocked down, but not out. Folks, we're never knocked out when we're faithful. It may take some time. Patience is a big virtue. Well, we see this is the bad. This is the fall of Joseph. And it's a bad way, wasn't he? But we see it's temporary. As you can see, we start talking about Joseph's climb back. Joseph's climb back. And this is a message that the Lord has laid on my heart. You know, after two more years, after that baker, I'm sorry, the butler went back to the Pharaoh's house, it took two years later, Joseph's life was about to make a dramatic change to start his climb back. Okay? You may be waiting for your climb back right now, too, huh? You may be going through some terrible times right now, and you're waiting. But God's faithful, I'm telling you. Just hang in there. You know, hang in there. Well, we see... Whoops. I'll get that off there. Um, Maybe. Okay, or not. Uh, 
Joseph was released from prison. That's the first climb back. Would that be a good day to get out of prison? Sure, it'd be a good day to get out of prison. Pharaoh had a dream and no one could interpret it. So, and that caused the butler to remember. I don't think it caused the butler to remember. I think God put it in that butler's heart to remember uh, Joseph at that time. But he finally remembered and he, and he told Pharaoh about Joseph. So, so Pharaoh quickly, immediately took action and had Joseph rushed in to interpret his dream. Joseph took what God had blessed him with, the interpretation of dreams, and, and, uh, and he used that. He used that. Guys, we have talents. God promises he gives us at least one talent. We need to use that talent. This is what Joseph was doing. He was using his talent in the interpretation of dreams to help himself climb back up out of the life he was leading. And God blessed him with that. And he remained faithful, folks. And not only faithful, but he was ready. You know, the Bible in the New Testament says, be watchful and be ready, right? He was ready, always ready to act, always ready to do God's will. And we see this was true, even though he was in prison for, for those, those years. Um, and we see here that Joseph didn't just say, hey, it's me telling you what this dream is. He gave God credit. He said, this is what God's telling you. Big difference, isn't it? Big difference, okay? Humility is a great virtue for Christianity that we sometimes lack. But Joseph credited God with forewarning Pharaoh that there will be seven prosperous years of food, and then there's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And he gave Pharaoh some, some other advice too, and we'll go into that. But you notice Joseph gave God the credit, and he remained faithful. A great lesson for us. This was God's timing. It wasn't, it wasn't Joseph's timing. It wasn't man's timing. It was God's timing. And that leads me to what talents and gifts has God given to you, and are you using them? Are you ready to use your gifts uh, and talents that God's given you to help you climb back out of the situation that you're in even now, if you are in one. The second thing in the way he climbed back was, you can see, Joseph's reward was to be number two in Egypt. You know, we see, and this is, uh, I mentioned this earlier, if we read in the 41st uh, chapter, 38th verse, starting there, I'm going to read that down several verses. And and listen to the words, folks. This is really important. It's a, it's a wild experience for me when I read it. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? What's he saying? There's nobody else, is there? Can we find? What about us? If God were to stand here today, if, if a the President of the United States were stand here today and ask that question, Can we find such a one as this who has God in them? Would, the, would he be able to say that here? How many would there be? We've asked ourselves that question. But he goes on to say, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God had showed thee, Who? God. Not him. God had showed thee all this. There is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in a throne will I be greater than thou. I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had and they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt and he prepared for the famine brilliantly storing up food for the people. And this is a little bit later. Uh, think about this, folks. Joseph went literally from zero to hero. In a matter of a few hours. Literally. 
dirty, rugged, closed, terrible. Now a few hours, just a few hours later, they got him all scrubbed up, cleaned up. Now putting fine linen on him, putting him now putting him in the second chariot. Why is that a big deal? That's saying he's number two. You know, you listen to me, and the people actually cried when they saw him, and they bowed to him. Wow, that's the people of Egypt. He's a Hebrew, and they're doing this. That's pretty wild when you think about that. Okay. Pharaoh actually named him Zephaneth Paneah, which means God speaks. So when he spoke, he was telling the people, it's like God is speaking to you. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's pretty powerful stuff there. This means that Joseph's words were valued more than E.F. Hutton's. Folks who are more seasoned will understand what I'm saying, right? Um. He, when he spoke, people actually cried and bowed. Because, you see, Pharaoh admitted God showed him. You have an idol-worshiping country of a Pharaoh who's telling, him, telling their people, this God you need to listen to. Is that powerful? One man God used in a slave condition to speak to people. And, God's, and this Pharaoh said, you better listen to him. This is God speaking to you. This is a true God, the one and true God. Pretty amazing when you really think about it. Can we make a difference? We say, we don't know enough. We don't know what to say. You know, that's not true. God's the one that takes control. It's not us. You know, so here's this guy that uh, just turned Egypt upside down and actually saved Egypt. But this is a great example. When we remain faithful to God, he will deliver and use us in his perfect timing. I know God uses me in this His perfect time. Even now, I'm here before you right now because this is where God wants me to be and what He wants me to be doing. I know that. I'm completely confident in that. Joseph climbed back in the favor of the Egyptians' eyes to number two in charge. So we see, you know, he was tore down in prison. Now he's number two. That's, that's climbing back, if you will. It doesn't stop there. We see... Gee whiz. That's one touchy thing. Okay. We see here that Joseph climbed back by having a reunion with his family, too. The woes who cast him out, who wanted to kill him, there was a reunion with his family. In chapter 42, we see that all the neighbor countries from Egypt were also in drought, because that's what happened. After seven years, it became a drought, and we see they didn't have food. So what happens when one country has food and everybody else doesn't? People start coming to you. And that's, you can make deals and all that stuff, but they start coming to you. They need food. Food's the most important ingredient, isn't it? So what happens? Joseph's dad, Jacob, sends his brothers, you know, those ones who kicked him out and tried to kill him earlier, send him down there to buy food. Talk about ironies. Joseph's brothers come to be saved from starving to death and unknowingly have to go before their brother, who, who they disowned, and wanted to kill and sold into slavery. They have to go before him and ask for food. Wow. Is that ironic? That's ironic. I think it's ironic. I'm sure the brothers had a conversation in a flashback as they traveled down to Egypt, knowing you know, that's where they sold their brother to. You know, they didn't think they'd ever go before him, I'm sure. So what did Jesus I'm sorry, what did Joseph do when, when he saw him? Because we find that Joseph recognized their, his brothers. And his brothers did not recognize him at first. Okay. Well, we see that he enacted God's plan, not his plan. Did he have a right to be uh, vengeful? Sure. Be angry? Sure. But you see, he enacted God's plan for a bigger purpose. At first, it seems like he's just getting a little bit of revenge, playing a little game with them. 
But we see it was bigger than that. You see that when he recognized them, he accused them of being spies. He framed them for stealing, threw them in jail for three days, and then he listened to how they talked because he was speaking to them through an interpreter, but he knew their language. He was listening to what they were saying. They didn't know he knew what they were saying. And they were talking about they were finally getting punished for what they had done to him after all those years. And he listened to that. He wanted to see if there was any remorse there. And he kept and he kept Simon in prison. Interesting aside note, why did he keep Simon? If it was ten brothers, why would he keep Simon? You ever think about that? Well, if you go back and start looking, we, they believe that Simon was the one who wanted to kill him. And he was the one who threw him in the pit. So he kind of kept him there. That's interesting. I don't know what was going on there, but that's just a side note. But we see here that he kept them all, and he said, you go back, he said, you go back to your, to your dad, you go back to your home, and, uh, and you told me that you have, a, you have another brother, a youngest brother. His name's Benjamin. He said, you go back, and you go get him, and you bring him back to Egypt. Well, why would he say that? Because Benjamin was his full-blood brother. Full blood, blood brother. And he said, you bring him to Egypt. Well, they, they, they went back home. They took their food that they had, and they ate their food. And, and Jacob did not want to do it. He, did not, he refused at first to send Benjamin back because he said, I've, I've already lost Joseph, my son. Probably have lost my second son, Simon. Now you want to send another one down here? I don't think so. But we find out, you get hungry enough, you'll do about anything, won't you? And that's what happened here. They got hungry enough. He said, all right. He said, you know, and his, and his one son said he promised he would get him back and all those type of things. And, uh, and they sent him back, and he sent more money, and he sent uh, Joseph gifts. Jacob did that, trying to get on the good side. And we see in the 44th chapter, verse 26, And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was, their, was in their hand, into the house, and bowed, listen to this, and bowed themselves to him to the earth. Wow. Remember Jesus, or Jesus, sorry, Joseph's dream of what his brothers were going to do? Bow down before him. Isn't that amazing? Well, have you ever felt vengeful? Anybody ever feel vengeful? You want to admit it? I'm sure at some point everybody's felt that where they've ever acted on it. Is there someone who's wronged you? In effect, cast you away like Joseph's brothers did him. In order to save his family, Joseph had good justification and the power to do it. But we see he chooses to climb back towards establishing a relationship with his family. Wow. That's pretty awesome, I think. That's pretty awesome. Well, how did he do it? Well, first thing he had to do, he had to forgive. How hard is it for us to forgive when someone's wronged us? Pretty hard sometimes, isn't it? We see in Genesis 45, 5, he says, Now therefore be not grieved. He's talking to his brothers here. He's, he finally reveals himself to, him, to his brothers. I am Joseph. I am the one you cast into the pit, sold to slavery, sent down here to, as a slave to die as a slave. I want you to know that. But listen to this, guys. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Does that sound like vengeful? Our response? Not at all, does it? Just the other way around. Hey, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. This is bigger than you and me. This is a God thing. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? This is a God thing to save 
saved a lot of people, you, your family, our family, and even bigger than that. Hmm. See, Joseph got it. Sometimes we don't get it, do we? Joseph got it. God allowed him to suffer for the bigger picture to save his family. Think about that. God allowed a righteous man to suffer in order to save his family and his country. That's powerful stuff. You think about it. When we see the big picture, forgiveness of brothers doing uh, doing us wrong, you know, uh, we see it that way. Uh, is that easy to do, to forgive that way? Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Do we have bro- any brothers or sisters in the Lord who've done us wrong? Yeah. I'll say it this way. If you're involved in church, you will. I know I have. And that's the way it is. Folks, we have to take the high road. We have to be the bigger person we are wronged. We may have to swallow our pride. That's a tough one. To restore our fellowship with one another. But by giving other, by forgiving others, we will climb back into fellowship with our families. Then also we see Joseph rescues his family. Joseph rescues his family. He climbs back into society, into his family by rescuing them. Long story short, we see in chapter 46 where Jacob and his entire family were saved by God through Joseph in a big way. You see, Joseph used his position and his influence to get permission to bring 69 members, 70 counting him, uh, to Goshen, which is actually the most fertile land of all of Egypt, where they blossomed. Matter of fact, it was so good, uh, well... It was so good that they, they went from 70 people to 2.5 million people in 400 years. That's a pretty good population growth, isn't it? God blessed them there. Also, on a side note, we see Jacob, he came down with him. You know, we see he was 130 years old, and his, his life wasn't a bowl of chocolates either. You know, it wasn't. Matter of fact, when he talked with Pharaoh, Here's what he said. He said that most of his years had been full of sorrow and pain. Wow. Do we feel that way sometimes? Sure we do. You know, pardon the expression, we say life sucks. Is that that the layman's terms for it? Sometimes it does. You know, it's part of life. We're going to get knocked down. That's life. It's about how many times we get back up. That's the key. And keep going. Joseph did, and the rest was he rescued his family because he did that. Then we see that Joseph redeems the Jews in effect. He climbed back by redeeming or saving the Jews, by God allowing Joseph to suffer all the pain through being stripped of everything that was important to him. Think about this. He lost his mom. He lost his dad in effect, his family, his country. Falsely accused of rape. Sentenced to prison. He had no friends. He was an island. He was an orphan. He was all by himself. Lonely, you can imagine. I can't imagine how lonely he had to feel. Some would ask, why would God allow a faithful, godly man to face so many falls? Why? That's not fair. We'd say that's not fair, wouldn't we? We'd feel that way. Folks, being a Christian sometimes costs us pain. It costs us suffering, loneliness, and sometimes it may last for years. You know, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. You know? No servant's greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. That's going to happen. See, the benefit of all of Joseph's suffering was he not only saved his family, 
But God used this remnant of 70 Jews to grow, as I said a minute ago, to two and a half million people in 40 years, and eventually lead them to the promised land. They would have been exterminated. They would have been annihilated. They would be, we would call that Jewish genocide if they would not have went to Egypt. Was all that pain and suffering worth it for Joseph, for the outcome? How about us? Is the pain and suffering we may be going through right now worth it? Is it worth it for God's kingdom? You know, Jesus is on the throne in heaven, and we're still taking, or I'm sorry, we're still talking about how great Joseph was, aren't we? Even to this day. And we're going to see it in heaven. You think he won't be rewarded in heaven for that? Guarantee it. I'm anxious to talk with Joseph. I'm, I'm anxious to talk with Joseph. You know, our climb back to being used by God is worth all of today's falls that we have, folks. Worth them all. Folks, you may have been, you may be an unbeliever here tonight. And God may be convicting you this, at this moment of how you need to accept Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. He only promises today. God only promises today. Christian, maybe you have been falling a lot in your Christian walk. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your need to climb back into a close relationship with God. Don't delay. Don't delay. I promise you, God desires a close relationship with you and me. Just come down to this altar. Just come down to this altar, you know. And whether we give yourself, make a decision for the Lord to become a believer and to follow Him, or or as a Christian, rededicate yourself and your service to Him. You come now.